Welcome to the Weekly Berean. Hosted by Berean Community Church. Join us as we give pastoral addresses on pressing issues. God has made it known to all persons that He is God and should be thanked and praised as God. Romans 1, 18 through 21. Present warnings for Christ's church, part one. A wrong view of guilt and shame. These are unique times, but our age is not different a different day than what God's people have previously faced. Yet the fact that times like these have happened before does not ensure our right response. Church history shows us that the church often responds wrongly in seasons like ours. And there is evidence aplenty that the evangelical Protestant church in America is making serious mistakes. And we should not think that we're immune to the same mistakes or even worse. I want to share some warnings and preventative measures for our time so that we might live in a manner that pleases God. We may need our thinking caps and thicker skin for this. Beware of having a wrong view of guilt and shame. We need to think biblically and carefully about the present crisis surrounding racial reconciliation. Those who demand persons from one ethnicity to confess to be guilty of wrongdoing when they have not sinned against this person have no grounds for their claim. Likewise, those who are demanding that law enforcement officers in general confess to moral wrongs when they were not the officer or officers who did any wrong. These are illegitimate views of authority, law, guilt, and shame. Our society does not define guilt biblically. If you are in an authority and you abuse your authority, you are guilty of sin. If you are not in a position of authority and you claim someone in authority has offended you, but there is no biblical transgression of God's law, you slander. Our society and probably most of the church defines sin by our feelings of guilt and shame and not transgressing God's law. Yet, we must understand guilt clearly and discern its presence and absence. Guilt is violating God's law. We can be guilty before a secular law and be called a transgressor of that society's civil law. Say if our nation passed a law forbidding pastors to preach that, homosexu- that sexual immorality was evil and faithful pastors continued to preach the truth of God's word and disobeyed the state, they would be guiltless before God and guilty before the state. God has made it known to all persons that he is God and should be thanked and praised as God, Romans 1, 18 through 21. God's express commandments have come to Israel and to the church through the Old and New Testaments, and violating his law is sin. Thus, all sin is law-breaking, a violation of God's law, Romans 2, 12 through 16. Likewise, if we do not break God's law, we have not sinned. 
And if we have not sinned, then we are not guilty of sin. And people who are without guilt have no shame. Guiltless and shameless people cannot confess nor repent. This biblical understanding of sin, guilt, and shame, with its corresponding call for responsibility, consequence, confession, and repentance, should be taught in our families. When a child breaks a, quote, house law that is not in violation of God's law, he or she should be taught the distinction. Putting your dirty clothes in the hamper is a fine law for parents to lay upon their children. And parents rightly hold their children accountable to this, quote, house law, and thus may choose to exercise some unpleasant consequence of its violation to teach their children. But parents cannot call failure to put one's dirty clothes in the hamper a sin. They may called disobeying their instruction sin because they are parents and God commands children to obey their parents. But it is not a moral failure before God to fail to put dirty clothes in a hamper. Christ died for the ungodly children and ungodly parents who do not obey God's commands. He did not die to atone for breaking our homemade laws. One question you need to have in your mind as you hear the cause for justice and reconciliation is by whose standard or whose authority manifest in a law code is this guilt and shame coming from? Is this God's law? Is this due to a transgression of God's law that makes one guilty? The short answer is that those calling for reconciliation that does not call transgression sin by God's standard, which is revealed in his word, make false accusations, for they do not stand on the law of God. God's law gives commandments. Sin violates his commandments. The proof of guilt is in the commandment broken. Thus, sin is able to be named with biblical names, envy, covetousness, murder, lying, every time. The guilty are able to be called guilty by their specific transgression. If you are guilty of breaking God's law, then you have sinned. You need to confess your sin to God in contrition and humility before him. You need to turn away from your sin, forsaking it and hating it. You must take the corresponding obedience that comes with repentance. You need to receive Christ's sin-atoning sacrifice, not grovel in your prideful misery of self-righteousness. You must receive the gift of forgiveness because God is gracious and he is being gracious to you. You need to go to those whom you have sinned against asking them for mercy. But if you're not truly guilty, you cannot say or act like you are guilty. You cannot confess any sin. You cannot submit your conscience to a false authority, one that is not God's authority. You cannot let another person have the position that only God through his word is to have. If you do, you've sinned against God and you have become a slave to man and you are not a slave to God. False guilt in households begets false guilt in the street. 
What's taking place in the streets of our society should not surprise us, for it takes place in our homes. This is a timeless pattern. What happens in the home eventually comes to roost in society. Much of what we see in the streets derives from the absence of fathers, literally or practically. Families often leverage false guilt to satisfy their selfish, unlawful desires. Husbands, Christian husbands even, will apologize and even ask forgiveness from their wives for something that they did not do or for something that is not sin because it is expedient for their desires in the relationship. For the sake of, quote, peace, the husband bows to claim he was sinfully insensitive. Wives, yes, even Christian wives, will also do the same. Parents, even Christian parents, do the same for their children, and their children learn the game easily and quickly. When someone is, quote, offended or even feels, quote, offended, that is sufficient grounds to judge the accused one of the supposed wrong. But in reality, the law and its relative authority isn't God and his law. It is only the person who feels offended. But since there is now an offense in the relationship, discord, distance, and division are potential threats if the offender does not confess or apologize or ask forgiveness. When families operate this way, we should only expect church members and citizens to do the same. But the problem is not addressed. Simply because one feels offended is no grounds at all for offense. Breaking actual and legitimate law is grounds for real offenses. While each family and state will have their law as delegated authorities under God, the actual law over all of us is God's law. His commandments are the standard by which he judges our actions and attitudes as sins when we break them or righteousness when we keep them and keep them from the heart. Our feelings are not grounds for offenses. God's law being broken is. Likewise, our perspectives are not grounds. We determine what God's commandments are by the word of God. Thus, when we have broken God's commandments, we are judged by God as guilty for the particular transgression. And we are able to judge objectively others and our own actions and attitudes to be sin when they violate God's law. Again, this is true in the house and in the street and on the internet. Submitting to a false judge, a false law, and a false guilt seems legitimized. Likewise, it feels right when a person tells another person they have to do something in order to be righteous. If I say you need to homeschool to please God, and if you are not doing so, you're sinning, I'm exercising false authority and a false law. If you feel guilty because you do not homeschool, you have yielded to this false authority as if he is legitimate. This makes you a serf, not a citizen. Christians are sons of God and citizens of his kingdom, not serfs. So, we are to stand for justice, which is righteousness executed. We are 
to hate what the world calls racism, and we should call hatred against someone because of their ethnicity sin. We live in obedience to God's law, and therefore we do this. And when we fail to do this, we must repent. May the Lord help us.